What's up, everybody? Peace. Uh, just heads up. There may be some strong language in this episode. Ooh. <laughs> some bad words. <laughs> I did a show with the Lower East Side. It just felt like an inner city lunchroom. And I felt like the white substitute teacher. I heard a kid in at one of the tables go, Yo, are you scared? That's the worst heckle because he heckled my soul. Hey everyone, this is Stretch Armstrong. My name is Bobby Tugosi, a.k.a. Cool Bob Love. You are now listening to What's Good with Stretch and Bobby Bobito. Word up. And our guest this week is Neil Brennan. Yes, this extremely funny man is best known as the co-creator of the legendary Chappelle Show. Word up. He executive produced Chris Rock's 2018 special Tambourine. Hoo-ha! He directed Inside Amy Schumer. <laughs> he is that guy that a lot of the best known comedians in the world ask, yo, is this funny? Right. And he's also a stand-up comedian and has been doing that for some time and is really pushing that on tour right now with a show called Here We Go, Here We Go, Here We Go, Here We Go, Here We, Here We, Here We Go, Neil Brennan and Stretch and Bob. Dum diddy dob diddy diddy dob dob. I got to see him at Radio City for Chappelle's run that he had last year. And uh, yeah, he really brought the house down. He did. Um, he's, you know, people know him as the dude behind the scenes, yeah. but he's going to be known just as much as the dude behind the mic. Right. Did you sit in front? Yeah, yeah, Well, I, I, was, <laughs> at, I was invited to the Chappelle show, uh, second season, first taping, and I was seated in front, and I was like, why am I up here? Because, you know, the stand-up comedians, they, in, well, between, in between the, the acts, they would have... Somebody come out and I was like, oh man, my hairline is looking busted. Like they're gonna look at me. Like the Neil was he was he cracking jokes on people in the no, crowd? No, it, it was Radio City, and he had a spotlight on. It was dark. But Got listen, I, I know what you're getting at because when you used to work at Def Jam and I interned at Def Jam, you know, we'd get invited to Def Comedy Jam yeah. back in, in the early days. Sure. And you know how it was if like if you were a white dude in the audience, <laughs> you were getting got, yeah. right, <laughs> right or wrong. Yeah. I remember one time I was in the balcony in the second row. And uh-huh. I still got it. Word? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, coming up next, your boy, Neil, Neil Brennan. Brennan. Some things were meant for each other. Fries and milkshakes, selfies and duck face. And now, what's good with Stretch and Bobito and Spotify? Yes, the same app that has millions of songs now also has thousands of podcasts. On Spotify, you can listen to all your favorite shows and discover new ones. To subscribe to ours, search for What's Good with Stretch and Bobbito, tap follow, and get every new episode delivered to you. Podcasts on Spotify, they're streaming right now. And now, and now. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. In 1980, with a few thousand dollars in used dairy equipment, Ken Grossman founded Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Ken's award-winning ales propelled him from home brewer to craft brewer. Today, Ken and his family still own 100% of the company, one of the most successful independent craft breweries in America. More at SierraNevada.com. And we are back. We are joined by a very, very, very funny dude, comedian, writer, producer, 
I go and direct too. And I direct. direct Excuse me. I knew there was one. Thank Hold you. on. Let me, let me Thank check, you. Let me check out these uh, these cards. Yeah. No. <laughs> Thank it you. Stretch. It. it doesn't say it there. Excuse me. Neil Brennan, welcome to Thank What's Good you. with Stretch and Bobito. <laughs> yes. Good to good to talk to both of you. This is how old I am, Stretch. I saw you DJ. This sounds like a 2000s Mad Lib, but I saw you <laughs> DJ. The Beastie Boys 9-11 concert oh, wow. at the Bowery Ballroom. At Hammerstein Ballroom. At Hammerstein, Not Bowery yes. Ballroom. Yeah, that, Hammerstein's yes. a little more impressive than Bowery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At um, Hammerstein, yeah. You do big, you do only do the best ballrooms. Uh, <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> nothing but the best ballrooms. Neil, you are a writer on The Chappelle Show. Uh, you've directed uh, TV inside Amy Schumer. You're doing stand-up now. You did stand-up back in the day. I'm curious about the return to stand-up in this current Neil Brennan. Uh, well, I didn't really do it back in the day. That's the the thing. Is like I did it a little bit during Chappelle's show, then I didn't for like three years, and I started in like in earnest in 2007 because the thing when you're in like showbiz or whatever you want to call it, especially when I was writing and directing, so much of it is pitching ideas and them getting rejected and you kind of go like I'm pretty sure I'm funny like I, I feel like I'm funny despite the fact that I keep getting rejected by people less funny than me mm. so uh, it was fun to be able to uh, go on stage at night and and go like oh right I am funny um, and then it took a few years uh, to sort of get up to speed and get good at it had the preparation of being the producer director how, how well did that fuel you being on stage in terms of your confidence on you know to deliver in front of a live audience it's a complete different experience being yeah you know, in a board i mean room. you gotta you have to your body has to get used to it like your body has to get used to uh being in front of people like and you have to be like you have to be kind of a ham you know like the thing about writers is they're generally self loathing comedy writers, uh, self-loathing, sort of play small. Uh, and as a like performer, you have to think like a comedy writer, but act like a like a performer. So I mean, you see it in hip hop all the time. Like there are guys that Swiss Beats or or you know the best example being Kanye. The first time he did TV was on Chappelle Show. And uh, the first two takes, he had his head down, looking at his shoes. And I, I, before the third take, I was like, Kanye, you got to pick a camera and and play to it. And I said, on some hip hop shit. <laughs> you know, if you watch like the one of the whatever the G thing video, Snoop's shy. Like, and Warren G is shy. Like, they're kind of like, Warren G like looks at the weed and he's kind of like, they're not commanding they don't really own what they're doing and that Kanye kind of suffered from that on the when he did the him and Common did the food you want to hear something crazy Michael Jordan in his first commercial with Spike Lee has no lines because at that point Michael Jordan didn't have a lot of lines in those commercials at all even in Space Jam he doesn't have a ton of lines right it took him a long time to to break out of that and and feel like the commanding presence I mean I think that's just human nature especially if you yes in a comedy club aspect I would think it's you know you it's kind of like playing ball at West Fourth Street, where you know there's going to be hecklers on the sideline and you know you're going to get called out if you're whack. Yes, yes, and I and thank you, Babito. I was, 
I was whack. called out for being whack. At West 4th Street or at the comedy club? <laughs> I did a show, uh, and you were right to heckle me, Bobita. No, I did a show on the Lower East Side, like, I don't know, 2008 or something, or 2007, and... Uh, and it was really dark. It just felt like an inner city uh, lunchroom. It was like just midnight, and I felt like the white substitute teacher. Um, <laughs> and uh, and um, and I went in, and uh, and I heard a kid in at one of the tables go, "Yo, were you scared?" And I was like, and in my head, I was like, "Yeah, I am scared." Uh, they could tell. That I was scared. Um, I got through it, but that's like the worst. That's the worst heckle because he heckled my soul. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't like your shirt is whack. It wasn't like right, he right, went. Right. He saw. He really saw me. Yeah. And really like hit me in a in a very uh, damaging way. That even eleven years later, I think about it. <laughs> So I guess that wasn't your best performance ever. That wasn't great. But no, no, no. But here's the thing. He said it before I even said anything. Ah. That's what was so, so, uh, so buck wild about it. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> wow. Neil, what, what year did you get to New York? I got there in 91 uh, for NYU Film School. Gotcha. Which and, I subsequently and... dropped out of after a year. Yeah, well, we, ha- we have that in common. I, I dropped out of Columbia to become a DJ. I said this to you yesterday, like, it, school is a list of books that they tell you to read. That's what school is. And then you read them, and they go, what did you read? And you go, I don't know. And then they explain it to you. So just get the list of books and save yourself $100,000. You really can. Like, the, I'm, uh, kids, are you listening? Um, like, you really can help yourself and so, save yourself so, a lot of money. So <laughs> while you were at NYU, you worked at a comedy club, right? Yeah, I worked the. Bo- it was called the Boston Comedy Club in uh, in the Village on West Third. And was that because you needed money, or you just really wanted to be around comedy? Uh, I well, my brother's a comedian, and I just liked comedians. And also, it was like I'd be around film students during the day, and then comedians at night. And I was like, film students are the biggest jerk offs in the world, <laughs> like the most pretentious <laughs> douchebags in the world. And then I'd go to a comedy club, and it would literally be like. 18-year-old Chappelle, 24-year-old John Stewart, 24-year-old Mark Marin, 22-year-old Louis C.K. like and these none of them were famous or popular, but they were all like funny. And I was like these I like this better. So I subsequently dropped out and started working the door for like no for like 235 a week. But it was a good time. It's one of those things where you look back and it was a it was a crazy time and and uh and I'm grateful for it, but it was more about just like developing bonds with dudes like i'm still i still have still have friendships from that time were there any women up and coming emerging comedians on the sarah scene? sarah silverman oh so yeah like i've known sarah since she was 18 and i was 16 or something like i've known sarah so long she was the first person to notice when i started having hair on my face wow where she was like oh my god are you shaving like i've known her i've known her that long Wow, Since amazing. So, yeah. I've heard you talk about how, as a, as a door guy at the Boston Comedy Club, you used to offer uh, improvements on how comedians might deliver their lines and offer them, you know, suggestions on how they might tweak something. Yes. Unsolicited. Unsolicited Of course, why advice. would anyone ask the door guy? How, no, how of course. I was, I, and, I dude, I was shaggy. <laughs> if you want to see uh, some idea of what I look like, I posted on Twitter... 
a clip from I was on the I wrote for the sketch show all that a couple years later like so 92 I'm working the door 95 I work for all that there's this I'm in a sketch with Keenan Thompson and I look like a greasy grungy dude and that was when I started making money so you can imagine what I look like when I was working the door and I had but I was pretty funny so I could I gave people I gave Dave most notably Dave suggestions and uh, and he was like, I can't prompt. That's good. And he would use it, and it would work. Um, and that was like, you know, amazing. Because just to get, you know, it, even though it wasn't, it was sometimes it would be on TV. Like he did a joke we kind of came up with together on on uh, on on Def Jam. That was super cool. Um, but you know, you know those like little breaks you get when you're like when you're at that that stage in your life or career where you're like it means the world mm-hmm. to you. Um, like that's that was a lot of that period. That's still the same job I have. That's one of the things I do now. It's like I still do, you know, I'm doing stand up. I'm on the road doing tours and Netflix and all that stuff. But uh, I help I helped Rock with his last special. Um, I helped uh, Ellen DeGeneres with her new special that's coming out. Um, that's kind of my job as a director. If I direct TV shows or movies or or commercials like I'm basically saying like hey you know what you should say maybe try saying blank and it's so it's just now I just do it at a higher level I guess so you're feeding Dave Chappelle some some humor and you know he's taking it on stage what's the turnaround where you're like just the doorman and the feeder to actually like okay me and Dave are now like boys we're hanging we were hanging the whole time. Basically, the way it happened was I moved to L.A., uh, so I ended up writing on the pilot for Singled Out. I then got hired for the second season of all that. Me and Dave are friends the whole time. He's starting to do well, movies, TV, all that stuff. Um, and then I wrote a script for a movie that wasn't very good, but I had a meeting with this producer named Bob Simons. A couple weeks later, Dave goes in. He's got a meeting with Bob. And uh, they're like, any ideas you have? And Dave's like, uh, yeah, uh, I got an idea for a weed movie. Um, and uh, and they're like, do you want to write it with somebody? And he's like, I am writing it with somebody already. And they're like, who? And he's like, trust me, you never heard of him. And they're like, no, who? And he's like, Neil Brennan is the guy's name. Like, they're like, we love Neil. He was here two weeks ago. Just one of those crazy things. Yeah. He was here two weeks ago. Uh, when can you guys pitch us this weed movie? We've never talked about writing a weed movie. We uh, This is as far as the conversation went. We saw Train Spotting. We're walking out of the movie theater, and Chappelle goes, you know you can make one of those for weed. I'm like, yeah, you could. That's the conversation. Months later, I get a call from Universe from, from Bob Simon's office. Julia Dre at Bob's office goes... Hey, uh, are you guys writing a weed movie? And I'm like, yeah, what well, weed movie? That's what we're writing. Meanwhile, never heard of it. And uh, and they go, when can you pitch it? And I go, I can pitch it in one month. Meanwhile, never talked to Dave about it. So then we have a month to come up with the idea uh, for the pitch. Uh, we of course take the full month. We take the full thirty days. The night before, we have a pitch on a Monday. And on a Sunday, one day, a Sunday, we just outline the movie. So we turn in a script and they're like, we love it. Uh, You guys got to go to Toronto. And we're like, for what? And they're like, for scouting. We're like, what? Like, it was crazy. Um, And uh, now having said that, 
our power was slowly kind of diluted over the period and we it wasn't didn't didn't end up being exactly what we wanted but there are like periods in half baked that i think are really funny and you can see like oh these guys this is kind of like Chappelle show because again we were just grateful we set you know a seven million dollar movie when we we're 23 having never written anything it was like yeah all right yeah that seems fine what you're gonna give us per diem and we can go to the brass rail the strip club in toronto <laughs> every night take that nyu film school mm-hmm. was uh was your friendship with dave a part of your entryway into into hip-hop or was that just a function of you being in new york city no you know what my entryway into hip-hop was um my biggest introduction was obviously like the, you know the Def Jam, Run DMC, Beastie Boys, like that conglomerate. But when I heard Public Enemy, I heard "Don't Believe the Hype" at a basketball game, my high school basketball game. I might have been, I might so it might have been eighty six or eighty seven, and I heard it and I was like, "Wait, what is this?" Like one of those things where you just go like, "Oh, this, all I want to hear is this," <laughs> for kind of like forever. Uh, and then I moved to New York and it was like, you know, it was 91. So it was like the, the big, it was a huge year for hip hop in terms of making, it would take a big cultural jump. I think it took a big artistic jump obviously also, but like there was a big cultural jump in terms of like it being taken seriously. Mm-hmm. And I also saw the value of, of like deaf comedy jam and, and black comedy for lack of a better term. I think when a lot of white people were like sort of either put off or scared by it it didn't it just seemed like no that's this is good mm-hmm. this is the good stuff going to hip hop clubs in the late 80s and early 90s and you you know when i would see another white dude like we would kind of see each other notice each other and give each other like a a shady glance like what are you doing here yeah no i remember <laughs> uh mike and adam the beastie boys saying when they would see each other at hip hop shows like in the early 80s at the fever and stuff they'd be like they'd be like screw that guy even (laughs) though they were the only they were like exactly the same person it's that like teenage self-loathing you have so much in common um yeah and then you become you give the white guy nod that black guys give to each other in white places (laughs) right except it's 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 a competition it's a competitive yeah it's not like yeah yeah, yeah, there can only be one white exactly (laughs) Uh, it's a highlander situation But, (laughs) but then eventually um you know being the, the the white guy that's actually writing for black voices, did you ever feel like you you didn't belong or that you had to prove yourself in, in any particular way? You know, I gotta say I I'm writing something right now with Kenya Barris who created Blackish. And um I feel like my value to black voices is uh I think the best illustration of it is we did a sketch on Chappelle show where Dave does jury selection. He's on the OJ jury, the Michael Jackson jury. What about Michael saying it's okay to have children sleeping? That don't mean anything. I'm sure there's plenty of kids that sleep in the bed with their adults all the time and nothing happens. So do you think Michael Jackson is guilty of the charges against him? No, man. He made Thriller. (laughs) Thriller. So you'd let your children sleep with him? No. And that is exactly that's that's verbatim conversations basically. The logic that Michael Jackson couldn't have molested the kids because he made Thriller. It's literally just like going like, "Wait, what? Talk about that." That's a funny vein of logic that um white people are not familiar with for the most part. 
but it is entirely understandable. For instance, the jury selection thing, because of the, what the justice system has systematically done to black people, you cannot prove anything to black people in the court system beyond a shadow of a doubt because white people have just played dirty for so long. So I guess it's just a level of empathy that, that I might be good at or seeing somebody something from somebody else's point of view, which might be the Libra in me. <laughs> in, uh, in 2014, there was a Comedy Central uh, special titled mm-hmm. Women and Black Dudes mm-hmm. where you used the N-word. I did. But yeah. you and said, I talked about it. Charged. Yes, killed, yeah, no, I, that's true. <laughs> but you since the stopped, and, and so what was the transformation there? Uh, the, well, the tra- I don't, I don't want to be like, like it's a prior, like a Richard Pryor thing. Like I went to Africa, and I finally like, <laughs> like, 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 like the the way I talked about it was about being called it. I get called the N word every day. <laughs> Thanks, fellas. No, I get called the N word. No, I get called the N word every day. Text, phone person constantly my black friends constantly coming the n-word i remember when my black friends first started calling the n-word let's face it it was pretty exciting um, but also it was confusing because they were doing it to make me feel like a part of the group but it actually had the opposite effect because i couldn't say it back to them so it just made me feel that much whiter you know i'd walk up to the group and they'd be like what's up and i'd be like When you're in a friend circle, you all kind of talk the same way, and it's hard to do on-the-fly radio edits of yourself. We wrote a sketch on Chappelle's show that is the N-word family. Um, I had to call Questlove and sing the song to him. I had to sing the theme song, which is N-word heavy, and I didn't say N-word because it wouldn't have made any sense. Um, So... Uh, the joke with I have have with Questlove is like if I just uh, if I'd called the wrong number in Philly, I just called some black dude in Philly and sang the N word theme song um, and left it on his voicemail. Um, so uh, so the joke was about um, the the stuff I did in in the in Women Black Dudes is uh, just about being called it because I was talking to a black comedian friend of mine. I was like, I get called it. It's crazy. He's like, you should talk about that. That's, that's interesting. So a black guy said it was fine, um, but uh, that where I am with it now is like it's just such a bummer. It's just such a bummer. Even though I write it for people or I'll like saying it publicly is just like for a white person. It's like tasing a black per- every black person who hears it, hears it, a white person say it, even if it's the friendliest, most uh, allied white person. It's like tasing someone. In doing this podcast. Um, you know, we, we research people's projects and whatnot, and it, it regularly makes me feel like I just don't know what's going on in the world. Um, <laughs> yeah. You're I, a 50-year-old you, man. You and me both. It's, it's, it's you know, when, when we did radio in the 90s, we knew what, I mean, we, we were like the source for what, what was going on, what was hot. Like, yeah. People listened to us because we were the, now I'm like, oh. Neil Brennan, love Neil Brennan, hilarious. Saw him, I saw you at Radio City for Chappelle's uh, mm-hmm. big splash recently. That was yeah, th- that was great, a magical night. And but I didn't know you had a, a Netflix special. Yeah. And so what am I doing wrong with my life anyway? So your Netflix <laughs> special if, for for those that haven't seen it is called Three Mics. It's a kind of an unconventional uh, comedy act where you have three mics on the stage. The first mic you do. Uh, uh, one-liners. The the middle mic 
is where you do deeply personal, uh, often, I would say... Gut-wrenching. Yeah, yeah, really, really sad stuff. And then the third is... uh, is sort of traditional stand-up. And I'm just curious, what, what was the evolution of, of this uh, uh, non-traditional concept? I had jokes from Twitter that I could that were just one-liners, basically. And I had a thought one time, like, I should just, when I go on the road, I should do, like, stand-up mic and then just have, like, a one-liner mic. Like, over here, I'm just going to do one-liners. And then I would listen to, like, The Moth and, like, storytelling shows. And I was like, I feel like I could do something like that. Like... Uh, snap judgment, whatever, even This American Life. I just got the feeling that people didn't know enough about me. So I needed to sort of explain a bit of an origin story. Like, you know, when you watch the Olympics and they'll have those like t- video packages of like, I grew up in a chicken coop or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, and, um, and uh, so, so basically I was like, I kind of need to explain myself. Because there are people who who think I'm just Dave's buddy or a date like, or whatever. So I, I kind of saw it as a bit of a uh, an origin story explanation, and I and I there were things I wanted I thought would be useful to talk about in public uh, that I talked about on the middle mic, like clinical depression and and having a uh, bad relationship with my parent or my father and and stuff that that you know people thank me literally every day for talking about in public because nobody really talks about it. Let's peep an excerpt of the personal part. I'm depressed, and uh, and not the way you normally hear that. Like, oh, I'm so depressed, Kobe retired. Um, I mean, like, I have clinical depression, the mood disorder, and I've had it for as long as I can remember. Like, I don't know if you know anything about me, but I'm the youngest of 10 kids. And I don't know if you know much about math or kids, but 10 kids is too many kids. Also, my father was a violent alcoholic. He didn't hit me that much, but he used to terrorize some of my brothers. Um, they were from the they were, they were born in the 1930s, so they were from the we did the best we could generation. If you criticize their parenting in any way, they would just go, ah, oh, we did the best we could. And I always felt like, really, that was the best you could? So dad, you'd get drunk, hit your kids, and think to yourself, no, this is me and my best. Yeah, it's not your typical stand-up, uh, particularly. <laughs> <laughs> particularly the mental illness and, and depression topics, uh, I would have to think that either you're completely detached from those moments while you're on stage or you're completely attached to them and you're feeling super vulnerable, super like almost like naked on stage and people are laughing. Is that something that you would encourage other comics to, that threshold to sort of, experience and share or? if you have stuff you want to say that is is difficult to say in a in just like a sort of joke format do it that way um but but that's the thing is like even there's a special on netflix called nanette this woman hannah gatsby and people are super threatened by it because it's like parts of it are super duper serious so everybody's threatened by it and it's like look man not everyone has trauma not everyone has uh, tragedy not everyone has some people are just like funny, sort of upbeat people. Just do the thing that suits you best. I'm not uh, of the mind that everybody has to be revealing and stuff now. Um, I think just do the whatever you need to say, figure out a way to say it. And that was what was good. That's the victory of Three Mics. It's like I had some stuff I needed to get off my chest, as it were. And uh, and and that's that was the best format I could think of. In Three Mics, you said... 
you didn't have low self-esteem. You had no self-esteem. Just curious yes. how that factored into your comedy. I basically used comedy as like oxygen, right? In a room that was filling up with water, comedy and getting laughs and, and having a funny thought or a funny notion um, was the thing that would sort of keep me um, alive. And now I have more self-esteem than I've ever had as a result of the success of Three Mics. Hmm. Um, the it was the it was I was because a lot of my self esteem was tied into accomplishments, and a lot of my accomplishments were with Dave. I had like haters in my head, and between doing three mics and and I, the week I wrote at Silent Live when Dave hosted, were were big for my self esteem because it was like oh I'm I'm pretty good like I'm good at comedy. Um, and then again, not in a way that's loathsome or I'm like walking around pounding my chest, but it's like, all right, voice in my head, you can shut the fuck up. Because mm. uh, I'm, I'm, you're just wrong. You just sound like a, it's, I always say like the voice in my head are like a, uh, a, a caller into a late night radio show, but it's one of those guys who's like kind of a root, who calls once every, once a week and the host is like sick of them <laughs> where it's like, you know, Bob from New Rochelle. He's like, yeah, I just want to say that, Neil, you suck. And he's like, dump the call. Dump it. Haters in your head. I love Yo, that. Yeah, yes. I had haters in my head. So, yeah. like, it was just, like, very, very helpful in eradicating that. Not forever and not all the time, but mostly. The name of your new tour is Here We Go. What new topics can we expect from Here We Go? Neil. I do a lot of stuff about Me Too in that I know the people. Like, I know Louie. I know Aziz. I, like, skip school at NYU to go on work on one of Louie's films. I've known Louie since 91, 92. So, but having said that, I'm not like, and I'm defending him. I'm just saying, like, it's pretty, it, it's close to home. Like, I know, you know. So, uh, the even the title, Here We Go, is about men watching so much porn that everywhere we are, we're just we expect a porn to break out at any moment. Um, so we'll be in our hotel room by ourselves, hear an unexpected knock on the door, and be like, "Here we go!" Um, <laughs> like we're just ready to go. <laughs> so that's kind of the the like. All right, it's on. Let's do it. I wasn't expecting it, but Semper Fi. Um, and uh, and so. So that's sort of that's about the stupidity of male entitlement and what we've sort of been like trained in some ways to do. So Mel Brooks and, and Jerry Seinfeld sort of lament that the PC culture has been detrimental to comedy. Would you agree or disagree with that? I would ag- I don't I don't really you know the PC culture I think and PC I meaning see politically it, correct. No, nah, yeah. Um Personal computer. Um, the uh, I'm more of a laptop guy. Uh, the um, the PC culture. I don't. To me, for the most part, it's like the least you can do. As Jay Leno said on on Mark Maron's podcast, he said that that um, you know when when there were the pollution regulations in the 70s. All the American car automakers were like sort of dragging their feet and sort of sulking. And the Japanese automakers just did it. 
and they made they 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 just did it. They were like, all right, these are the new regulations. That's not a big deal. We'll do that. We can, and they built better cars, and they got 15 years ahead of the American auto auto market. So, so uh, I think with the so-called PC stuff, it's not that hard to you know what I mean to like to show like a, a modicum of respect to marginalized people. Uh, you know, I don't think it's it's not ruined. It's just like, hey, yeah, so the box got tighter. So can you be great in this box? And creative, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. As a guy who talks about race on stage, it's there's ways to do it. There's way I talk about me too on stage. It can be done, and it can be done in a way that both sides kind of like, oh, that's interesting. Like that's I hadn't thought of that. That's pretty true, and it's not. Uh, I'm not offended by it. I'm not offended by you know. Uh, like I have a joke where I go like sex is the most consequential thing we can do with our bodies but we can't talk about it beforehand we're like looking at a girl going like "Mm, you thinking what I'm thinking and if I'm wrong I'm going to jail it's a recipe for uh, at least misunderstanding at the at bare minimum misunderstanding when it goes well it's a misunderstanding and when it goes poorly it's sexual assault so like there just needs to be more conversation because it's too many people are getting hurt yeah or Uh, We're going to take a break and come right back with Neil Brennan. The following message comes from our sponsor, Capital One. Would you know if someone applied for credit using your social security number? If not, listen to Joe Whitchurch, head of the CreditWise app, talk about the new SSN tracker his team recently released. While identity fraud is something everyone needs to be worried about, we want to make it easy and seamless for them to become aware of anybody attempting to use their identity without their knowledge or permission. CreditWise is free for everyone, whether you're a Capital One customer or not. You can find CreditWise in your app or Play Store now. Hey, everyone. If you enjoy this show, I think you'll really dig The Nod. It's a podcast that tells stories from black culture that you won't hear anywhere else. They've investigated Beyonce's alleged ties to the Illuminati, (laughs) tracked down crime mob for an oral history of the classic Nuck If You Buck, and uncovered the secret ties between grape drink and black history. Trust me, there's something on the nod for everyone. The hosts, Brittany and Eric, talk to celebrities about the things you'd never expect. They got Yara Shahidi to talk about what it's like to wear a do-rag on TV. They asked Michael K. Williams how we turn the tide of youth incarceration. And they got RZA to reveal the links between kung fu movies and the civil rights movement. Subscribe now to The Nod wherever you listen to podcasts or go to gimletmedia.com slash The Nod. The Nod, a podcast from Blackness's biggest fans. I'm Bob Boylan with the All Songs Considered podcast 50 years ago. The Beatles made a mind-boggling double album. Hear the White Album as you've never heard it before. From demo tapes to brand new mixes. This week on All Songs Considered. And we're back. This is What's Good with Stretch and Bobbito. And we're still here with our boy, Neil Brennan. Yeah, thank you. Anyway, thank you. Uh, this is the fun part. This is the prize at the bottom of the Cracker Jacks. <laughs> It's not like the drudgery of the rest of this, this podcast. I don't know if you were prepped for this, but... This is the part of the show that we call the impression session. And it's pretty right? simple. We play you a track, you react. Simple as that. Cool? All right. Boom. Who's going first? Uh, I'll yeah. go first. I'll go first. Somebody broke wind in here. I've been trying to like not say nothing, but somebody fought it in this motherfucker. That's some long distance fight too, boy. 
Don't do that. I know you get out with your friends, you have a good time, especially fellas, you know, to play that game, yep. play the fight game, you know. You know, you fight around your fellas and it's funny. Dudes be doing that. They be getting in the elevators and fighting and laughing and shit. Uh, never heard of him. Never heard of him. <laughs> That's Eddie Murphy. The the track is the fart game. And uh, your impression? Eddie Murphy is uh, one of the funniest human beings who's ever lived. One of the most talented, funniest human beings who's ever lived. I even can get behind his farting jokes, which I'm not a fan of generally. But <laughs> wait, not but a fan I'm, of fart jokes, or I not just a don't fan like fart farting. joke. I don't like fart. I don't like farting. Like do I don't like dudes doing that. Uh -huh. Like don't be farting around me. And and like I think fart jokes are just sort of like I don't know. Like they just seem like low. They seem too easy. Yeah. But well, having said that, like the right one is very funny. So. Twofold, why I, I played that track for you. A is I want to see if you recall when that album came out because was that the, delirious? Yeah, I remember listening to that album when in maybe the summer of '84. In uh, I went to a basketball camp, sleepaway basketball camp, and uh, and somebody had it, and they were talking about ice cream, like the all of the all the bits on there. The second reason why I played that for you is that uh, Eddie Murphy is a product of Saturday Night Live and I, I realized yep. that a lot of uh, comedians and it's a long legacy uh, who auditioned there and I'm wondering if you had an experience at that platform that you'd like to share. I never auditioned. Um, I, uh, I Maybe I submitted like in 93 or something. I had a lot of friends who wrote there um, and once I did Half Baked, I you know I knew Will Ferrell and and all and Catan and everybody Tracy Morgan I've known forever. Um, and I think that show is amazing. I think that show is a an institution. I think it is the high school assembly of America. All right, now we're gonna go into my selection for the impression session with Neil Brennan. Take a black one to move me. Give me the hell away from this TV. All the news and views are beneath me. So all I hear about is shots ringing out. About gang putting each other's head out. So I ran the kick some slang out. All right, fellas, let's go hang out. Hollywood, a Wednesday night. Make us all the bad. Public Enemy Burn, Hollywood Burn from 1990s Fear of a Black Planet. Neil. I think we almost did before Dave quit the show, but we were going to have Cube and Chuck D come on the show and do it. Oh, really? I'll get out. <laughs> it would have been amazing. The Bomb Squad sound, it just sa literally sounds like a riot. It's interesting to see the evolution of Hollywood white people now seeing the value of black material and black audiences and and uh, black producers. And, you know, it's like, like I said, I'm working with Kenya and, and everyone's kind of coming and knocking on his door because they feel like, he can help them break the black market and it's like dude this the market's not new hmm. i used to do a joke with dave and most def when after they do a good take on Chappelle's show i'd be like that was a great take fellas anyway hollywood called and they want you to play cops um <laughs> like the reward for being a great artist is like you know donald's reward for atlanta and and uh and all of his albums is like well you want to be you want to play uh Lando Calrissian and being Hans, a white dude's movie. It's like, it's still not 
for the most part, where it should be. There it is. Not much more to say. All right, Neil. Mm-mm. It was a pleasure to hanging Yo, out Bob, with nice you. Nice meeting you, man. Yeah, Neil, yeah, thank you, you man. as well. Had a great time. Let's man. do this again. Never in person, always via ISDN. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Talk, fellas. Neil, Peace. take it easy. Later. Peace. That is our show. This podcast was produced by Michelle Lanz, edited by Alexander McCall, Jordana Hochman, and Nigeri Eaton, and our executive producer is Abby O'Neill. If you like the show, you can hear more at NPR.org, and please go to Apple Podcasts and rate, review, and subscribe. That's how we know you are listening. And if you want to follow us, you can do so on Instagram at Stretch and Bobito, and Twitter at Stretch and Bob. Peace! <laughs>